0: A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. My name is Ann Amendola, and I am your host. I am so happy that you are here today. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And if you are a first-time listener, you are in for a super treat today because I have two of my very most favorite colleagues, two of my very most thoughtful colleagues on the show today uh, to talk to you about a project that they have worked on and have been working on called the Great Migration Project. So you are... In for a wonderful, wonderful show today um, because you are going to meet Diane John Greco, who has worked at MKA Montclair Kimberly Academy, that's my school, since 2015 as the technical director for the Fine and Performing Arts Department. She also teaches Photoshop and film classes for sixth, seventh, and eighth grades and is currently the sixth grade dean. She often collaborates with colleagues to create and edit video content to support classroom learning. She is one of the most collaborative colleagues I have ever had, and anything that she's doing with students is fabulously creative and wonderful. They love her. So she's a great person to get in touch with today. And you're also going to meet Debbie Branker. Debbie Branker is an instructional designer, workshop developer, facilitator and certified professional coach. She is passionate about imagining and designing inclusive educational spaces. Debbie consults at independent schools, including Montclair Kimberley Academy, where she worked for over a decade as a seventh and eighth grade English teacher and advisor, and also wonderful, wonderful friend. So, Diane, Debbie, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having us, Cheryl Ann. So yeah, I got think- to see Debbie and Diane's project, um, Great Migration Project, at In Service. Is that correct? Yes, mm-hmm. And it was so wonderfully moving that right afterwards, I af- afterwards I emailed them and I was like, you need to be on the podcast. People need to hear about your work. Um, so Debbie, Diane, I don't know who wants to start, but would you mind telling our audience what the Great Migration Project is?
2: Uh, I can start. Should I just start with sharing what the Great Migration is just in case anyone is a little unclear about that? Sure. Okay. So the Great Migration refers to the mass migration of African Americans, mainly from the agrarian south of the United States to northern cities, to cities in the Midwest, to cities in the West. And this occurred early 20th century to about mid-20th century. So the Great Migration Project is the stories of African-American, Black, MKA faculty, staff, and administrators who are the descendants of great migrants. So these are colleagues who are sharing their family stories of participation in the Great Migration, their ancestors' participation in the Great Migration. And this basically gives historical context to a lot of the literary studies that students do in the middle school. It gives historical context, very personal historical context, to sixth grade study of Watson's Go to Birmingham. It gives historical context to seventh grade studies of the Ibram X. Kendi Jason Reynolds stamped remix. And then the novel All American Boys that is studied um, after that in seventh grade in eighth grade, it gives context to the Harlem Renaissance Langston Hughes Poetry Unit, where Langston Hughes was a chronicler of the experiences of great migrants in the um in New York.
0: First of all, I love our English curriculum because it brings all of those stories in. But the fact that. Our kids get to hear personal stories of people that they know in the building. As a history teacher, I always find it so much more beneficial when kids can connect the story that we're learning about to someone that they care about or that they know or that they can relate to in any way. And I have to say, too, it became a whole lot more personal for me because I don't have connections to the great, great migration. But now my connection to the great migration are the colleagues that I know and love that have now told their stories.
2: You, you do have connections to the great migration, which we might talk about later, but you do because everybody does.
0: I love that. And that's also why I love Debbie. So Diane, what inspired the project and why do you think it's important for our community and then also maybe for other communities?
1: So I am going to um, have to first of all, say this is really Debbie's brainchild. Um, It was a brilliant, brilliant idea that kind of arose initially from um, the Harlem Renaissance unit that eighth graders would do right at the end of the school year. So we're hitting May. They are emotionally checked out and they were just burned out. And Debbie's like, this is beautiful, rich culture. How do we really like get these kids who are just done with school to engage in this content? So she had the brilliant idea of how do we make this personal? And she started reaching out to colleagues. And this was during our like fully remote period of COVID being like, can I interview you and talk to you about your family's experience? And she very generously reached out to me. and was like, you have a special set of skills. Can you help edit these like gorgeous interviews? Our colleagues were very generous and like talking to the families, getting images, getting the history. And some of these interviews are like Gorgeous 90 minute, two hour interviews. But we're like, an eighth grader has an attention span of about 10 minutes. How do we get to like some of these really critical questions we want them to engage with and know from this history? Um, So it was really that was kind of the original inspiration. And our kind of like hope of the project is as we keep building it, as we keep having like, um, we added Stamp and All American Boys just to our seventh grade English curriculum in the last couple of years. And discovering, like, wait, here's opportunities to start using in this class and this class and, like, sharing different interviews each year so that students can, like, still have a very full experience without repeating content across the years as we build the project. Um, So that was kind of the original inspiration. And one of the things that um, I'll let Debbie speak more to this part was the student feedback in the classrooms when we started
2: I want to add something. Diane is very modest. She really helped to shape this as a cinematic experience, if I can use that language. And she she really just gave insight into, you know, like, how do we do this through Google Meet during a pandemic when we're all in different corners of the world? And so I, I really, I can't say enough about just like the lens that she brings to this, and just like her giftedness as a storyteller as well. Because I like the reams of footage, I feel like it's reams of footage. Reams of footage is probably not the correct um, phrasing, but I think in paper, so that's why. Um, but, it, but just all of the footage that we got, you know, really looking at and carving out where the stories were in ways that. Middle schoolers could understand that, you know, middle schoolers, upper schoolers, if upper schoolers are able to see this at some point, could understand that that was just that that was just critical, and I'm grateful that we're partners in this project.
1: Oh, I think um again, this has been like a fantastic um collaboration, which Debbie and I could just kind of um mush at each other for quite a bit here, but it's just mutual admiration society. Um. But my question was kind of like when you first launched this with your eighth graders, what was like the initial feedback? Because, um, like we said, we had hopes for the project when we first started working on it.
2: The initial feedback was wonderful and it was it was incredibly moving students. Referred one student, I believe, referred to this as sacred, the stories as sacred and really deserving of being protected. I think the language was something like, please protect these stories. People are putting themselves out there. And you know, you 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 don't always do that. And it's important to to make sure that no one, you know, treads heavily on these stories. Students were able to make connections to to teachers in ways that I think, you know, um, just 2020, 2021 has been really difficult um, emotionally for people. And I think that we broke the fourth wall and teachers were seen even more as people. And I think that students saw a movement, the Great Migration, as, as what gifted them with the people who helped them to learn. To love Garage Band, uh, with people who helped them to to love reading, with people who were just kind to them and gave them candy on a regular basis, and so I, I really think that, in in a way that I I didn't necessarily anticipate, it 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 really helped with the social emotional learning that that allows for healing at a time when a world is fractured.
0: I mean, the way that that student described it, I felt the same way when I first saw it. It was like each story was this little treasure that really just needed to be held and protected, but also shared, um, kind of like a crown jewel in a way. And um, that that student really, really hit the nail on the head that it's a secret project. This project is secret. And, uh, and you also hit it right. I mean, you just see people... In a totally different way because you know them and in, in like such a more personal way the stories that our colleagues shared were really personal and difficult what was it like to interview people for the project how how did it feel it felt great it
2: was it was an honor and it was oh my goodness it I, like it was fun it was moving It was a window into people that I saw every day, and I didn't know things about them. I learned learned that I had connections to every single person. I'm the descendant of great migrants um, on my mom's side of the family, and I just was like, wow, so... Our families were, you know, were sort of got their start in the same neighborhoods in Queens. Once everyone got their footing. um, Oh, wow. You know, I have relatives in Georgia now. You know, it was fascinating. And I made a trip to the South to visit family in the South over winter break. And it was fascinating because I saw as we're driving, I saw all of the towns that our colleagues were were hailing from, that their ancestors were hailing from. And I, I was, I was in awe. So I got to know people that I thought I knew even better, which I am very grateful for.
0: And Diane, how did you make creative decisions for what to edit and
1: what not to? I imagine that was really hard. Yeah. I think that was probably like the most emotional part of all of this is as the word sacred is really like, I love that the student used that word, but that's what you feel like you're being trusted with these deeply personal, deeply, um, just challenging stories. Like some of our colleagues really opened up and shared really, you know, tragic, horrible things that had happened to their family. And you're just like, you want to make sure the truth is there and the essence is there is the feelings is there. So it almost comes down to, um, I came back to the questions that Debbie brilliantly framed as like the beginning points for the interviews. Like she sent a list being like, we're really hoping to get a sense of like, where was your family originally? What really inspired their move? And then what was their experience in the North and kind of coming through the this- trend this theme. We were having a lot of moments while we're editing and I'd be sending drafts to Debbie back and forth of how um we'd almost sometimes have to focus on like a particular family member because many of them had like several stories from different sides of like their mom's side, their dad's side, extended family. And we'd have to be like, all right, we're just going to go with grandma number one right now. And what was her experience? So for a few of our colleagues, we're ultimately editing more than one video from their interview. That way we can really be like, okay, when you're choosing clips to show in your English class and your social studies class, um, these themes always run true and it will give the students that experience to like compare, contrast, realize how different it was for each person who made that journey. And some of the stories even covered people who decided to reverse migrate, their motivations for actually moving back to the South as well. and. So while we're editing these, we are always coming back to what's the truth for this person. And just um, also for the student experience end of it, where are the stories that are going to help like show those compliment and contrasting moments? Because if we felt that like themes had really strongly been hit in uh, other video clips, they might've already seen, we might've like, Hey, this is the opportunity to bring up this new idea in this interview. But again, it's just You just feel so trusted and blessed that our colleagues were so willing to share and um, just constantly coming back to that sense of we have eight to 10 minutes as our kind of golden window. Where can we get the truth through? I'd say it's kind of our guiding principle while editing. And Debbie can even share more because the other thing um, we know for our English classes in particular is at the middle school level, our social studies classes aren't covering that century of American history they're really still like colonial times and before early civilizations so the thing we're starting to supplement these videos with and that's where Debbie can really speak more is researching also what are other visuals we can put on the screen to really like help build the world because I know one of the hopes of the project is also we didn't want it to feel like black and white newsreel this was forever ago we wanted to feel like real and vibrant and in color and I'm going to let Debbie kind of speak more about like that visual piece to it too
2: I, I um I loved what you said Dan- Diane about the truth and I think one of the other things that we did was that we we would go back to the people that were being interviewed and we would say to them so this is what we have how do you feel about this being shared and you know we would just get confirmation about what people felt comfortable being shared. And again, we we wanted to have the, you know, the storytellers in control of the story, you know, and, you know, and sharing truths that they're comfortable sharing with the world. You know, people are at different places in their lives and they may want to share different things later. Um uh, we we had moments where in the interview process, I remember that one person in particular said, I, I, I can't tell them that. I can't tell them that. And I said, you you can, you can tell them that. And if you, if you want to tell them about this very hard truth, we can decide later that, you know, maybe we don't want to share it at this juncture, or we want to think carefully about how we do want to share it. I also think that what was really striking to me was just how the truth was, was shared. Um, everyone every interview, everybody was really calm and everybody was really, really honored to share their family stories, to give voice to things that had not been really spoken of publicly that I, I'm aware of. And I think the lens was really on sharing this for educational purposes so that so that other people can benefit from the, the experience that their ancestors went through and and so you know this this is was envisioned as part of a dialogue, part of a discussion, part of civil discourse, and inviting people into that conversation so that again we can look at how to you know how to heal our world, which is so fractured right now. And in terms of finding like stills and things to um, to complement what what was shared in terms of the interviews, the stories. That was a fascinating journey because at first I was like, okay, so you know they're talking about the fact that you know this ancestor was not able to get employment. I need to find a picture of you know that depicts in some way some historical picture, Library of Congress or someplace else. Diane was great about suggesting um, things that are um, public domain, so you know like you can you can use them for free and not have to worry about paying for the images because we had no budget. <laughs> Um, So, it it was, it went from literal to much more figurative as, as the project evolved, and I remember saying, wow, well, what's the feeling that we're getting from what they're saying at this point in the video? Wow, we can cover that little mistake. That was made in the video, and capture this feeling that's being communicated by finding a piece of art, and so it was a fascinating journey for me as you know a relatively new digital storyteller to to look for images that went beyond the literal, and and really started to delve into what's the feeling here, um, how can Another element, another dimension of this movement be captured with with this particular with with an image. So that was great fun and remains fascinating.
0: My like social studies synapses are firing off, and they were as I was watching as I was watching the project last year. And one of the things that I really love about the Great Migration Project and our English curriculum is that it allows me as the colonial America up until like 1860 teacher to work backwards because the kids are seeing how, like, why is it like it is now? Why was it the way it was in the 60s? Why was it the way it was in the 40s? And it's it's really rewarding as a teacher and as your colleague to be able to say well these are the roots of those stories this is where it all started um and trying to dig up those roots has been really really hard and it's not the work's not done um and then the second part of my social studies brain is just so grateful for the storytelling because kids love stories You can bring them into anything with a story. Um, And the more you humanize history, the more you humanize social studies, the more they're feeling it. And we're not only creating kids who are interested and engaged, but we're also creating kids who are empathetic to other people. And that Mm -hmm. I think is the goal of all of us, or if it's not, it should be. So teacher tip right there. So we are about to the end of our time together. And I just wanted to know from both of you or either of you, how do you think, like bringing it to the practical for our listeners, how do you think someone else could plan and work on a project like yours? Maybe not on the same scale, but you saying that there was no budget, I think spoke to a lot of our teachers, maybe not on the same scale and scope, but how can someone do something similar to what you did? Where would they start?
2: I think trust is a big part of it. I think that really... I think trust and relationship, and I think that the project is about trust and relationship actually, like, you know, and in the workshops that we do, um, it's, it's about helping people to see these migration stories and then asking them, so, you know, where do you see your story in this? And people always make connections. They're, they're, they're like, wow, you know, parallel experience, um, you know, just, you know, in a different with different details. But I think just really working with people who, you know, who, who trust you is the start. Um, and because I know that one colleague said, we didn't know what you were thinking. Like, we had no idea what you were talking about. And and then it turns into this. And we have another colleague who um, Diane and I have chatted about who did not understand what the project was un- and was in it until the November in-service, where the person screened it, and the person said, "Now I get what you're doing." So I think it is all about trust, which is a start, and and really having a school that is, you know, willing to to just partner with you in doing this. And I think schools would be okay with that because I think that this every part of this project has been about agape love. And fostering community and telling stories in a way that brings people in instead of pushing them out.
1: We had the honor of presenting this workshop recently at a conference, um, POCC down in San Antonio. And one of the things that I just felt people were kind of struck by was this: is like this is such a project opportunity to make content relevant, but also give people an opportunity to kind of reevaluate, like what are we. Whose stories are we trying to share and make sure, like we said, we preserve and make sacred? And I think for many, whatever your subject might be be it like even like math or science or anything it can just be that matter of by sharing a story that doesn't get told as frequently. It's just a matter of it can even be like your own personal experience, just like sharing, like, this was my path to get to this point because the students will like connect and come in with you. So when you're thinking about like those themes that you're like, we want to get this that hasn't really been discussed, because I know one of the things we were first a little bit worried about was like overwhelming our colleagues. We're like, oh, this is another big thing on top of your already jam-packed curriculum. And we're like, but it's not another thing. We're actually directly grabbing something you already do, and we're making a supplement to it. So I think that would be like my suggestion for other teachers who wants to undertake something like this, be like, hey, what do you have that you really just want to kind of help emphasize and bring light to and use that as your like starting inspiration point?
0: Well, you've certainly inspired me. And both of you have done that multiple times over many years that I've worked with both of you. But this was just an incredible project. And thank you so much for your time and in sharing it with the Teaching History of Her Way podcast audience. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as as much as I did. Um, If you would like to get in touch with Diane or Debbie, their email addresses, their school email addresses, will be in the show notes. Diane, Debbie, thank you so so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having us, Cheryl Yes, thank you so much. It's a pleasure and an honor
0: to work with you too. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: And, and you inspire too,
0: listeners. If you would like to be in touch with me between podcast episodes, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way, or you can find me on my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com. Until next time, I hope you have a fabulous week and I will catch you in the next episode.